I invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. And probably for the past like year, I've been giving you a page number, and I was told just last week that we don't have the exact same Bible. So sometimes I might give a page number, and it might be the wrong page number. So my wife finally told me after a year. But if you are using the one I have, it's on page 737, so we'll see. Daniel chapter 2. And we had begun a a series in the book of Daniel. Uh, Last week we had looked at chapter 1, when Daniel and his three friends, along with other nobility and um, uh, those of well-learning in Jerusalem, are taken captive into Babylon. And they're brought into that age-long conflict between the city city of God and the city of man, a conflict that continues into our own day. A city built by, of man that is built by man's own strength, a city that is seeking the glory of man versus the city of God in which the glory of God is um, at its forefront and at its center. And so here in Daniel chapter 2, uh, Daniel now in the king's courts uh, is going to be dealing uh, with the king. Uh, who has these dreams that are troubling him. And so Daniel 2 is quite a long chapter. And so we're going to read the whole chapter. I think it's worthwhile uh, having the entirety of God's word before us. Uh, But we're going to take it in two parts. We'll take the first 30 verses today. And then next Sunday, we'll pick up the last uh, 19 verses or so. So Daniel chapter 2, again, we'll read the whole chapter. This is the holy and inspired word of God. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time, because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, and note very well their words, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. 
Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. To whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might. You have now made known to me what we asked of you for you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste, and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image, This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken, in pieces, and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom and power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these." And as you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom, but some of its firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together just as iron does not mix with clay. 
And in those days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's courts. Let's pray that God might bless this word to us. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, Lord, long ago you dealt with a powerful king, King Nebuchadnezzar, and you revealed to him through your servant Daniel that you are the God of heavens, the king of lords, uh, the one who reigns truly over the earth. You are the one in whom is wisdom and might, and every instance of wisdom and might we see on the earth is given ultimately from you. And so, Father, as we meditate upon this word and we hear from you, may you open up our eyes to recognize the true king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, I had mentioned, mentioned last week that the author of this book, likely the prophet Daniel himself, draws a very explicit connection to an ancient city uh, long ago, namely the city of Babel, back in Genesis chapter 10 and 11. Of course, you can see the, the connection by the name itself, Babel and Babylon. And I think in order for us to best understand Daniel chapter 2, it's helpful for us to be reminded of what took place long ago with Babel. We had read last week how the city of man was being built, Uh, These men were gathered uh, together to make a name for themselves, to reach the heavens, to contest God and his glory. And so they begin to construct this tower, the Tower of Babel. And God, as he looks down upon man, he recognizes the evilness and the wickedness of their ways. And it says that God came down to them to see what they are up to. And so as God recognizes their evil plot, he then speaks to them. Um, a word of judgment. God pronounces, just to put a kind of a summary statement on it, God pronounces a curse upon the city of man. God pronounces a curse upon the city of man that will abide not only with Babel, but as we're going to see, continues into Babylon, another instance of the city of man. So notice what God says. He comes down. He says, come. Let us go down and therefore confuse their language. This is from Genesis chapter 11. Let us come down and confuse their language so they may not be able to understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from over the face of all the earth and they left off building the city, the city of Babel. Therefore its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. And so we see a twofold judgment pronounced by the God of heaven upon the city of man in every instance of it. 
First, dispersion, right? They're, 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 they're disunited, they're, they're separated and dispersed amongst the whole earth. Now, we see man's defiance of the Lord's judgment, right, throughout history. Even in Babylon, as Nebuchadnezzar is amassing the nations. Nebuchadnezzar is trying to bring the nations back. It's why we have these long lists of people that Nebuchadnezzar brings into his courts, including the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and so on. Nebuchadnezzar is seeking to defy the Lord's curse by amassing the peoples again. Those dispersed, now he's seeking to bring them back together. Now, of course, the unity of Babylon is not a true unity. It's a forced and coerced unity, right? Nebuchadnezzar is not coming with necessarily terms of peace, but he is, with power, forcing people to come together. And so we see within his own courts, hatred, treachery, distrust. It's not a true unity, and yet we have this counterfeit unity that Nebuchadnezzar is trying to amass. See this in our own day. The desire for unity, but not a true unity, but a forced unity, an imposed unity, a coerced unity, which is no true unity at all. To fast forward, this isn't going to be the point of our sermon, but the true unity is found in the city of God. And it's felt in the church as the people of that city. That's where true unity is found. But so we said that God's judgment upon the city of man is twofold. Dispersion. So they are weakened, and now Nebuchadnezzar is bringing them together to make them more powerful. But it's a false unity. But the second fold of God's judgment, the twofold judgment, is also confusion. And I think that's something that we often overlook. The judgment that God has pronounced upon the city of man is also one of confusion. And again, we see this all throughout the world. We see this exemplified in Daniel 2 with uh, Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar specifically is gathering all the wise men throughout the nations, right? The magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and so on. He even takes Daniel and his friends, thinking them just one among other wise men. And so that if he might amass the wisdom of the world, he might overcome the judgment of confusion. And again, this has plagued humanity. It has plagued the city of man ever since, because as we come to see, The wise men of Babylon are no wise men at all. They don't have true wisdom. And that begins to move us more into the center and the theme of Daniel chapter 2. Because if you notice, as you read this chapter, what is emphasized is the notion of wisdom. Who has wisdom? Who can gain wisdom in order to understand the mystery of Nebuchadnezzar's dream And its interpretation. Just to kind of give you some statistics from Daniel 2 to see this. The word mystery is used eight times. The word knowledge or to know is used 18 times. The word to reveal or show is used 10 times. The word for interpretation is used 13 times. The word for revealing is used eight times. And the word wisdom is used 13 times. All of these things, knowledge, wisdom, understanding, mystery bring us into the main theme. And we see again Babylon as trying to defy the Lord's curse, overcome the confusion, and yet we see the futility of it in Nebuchadnezzar's wise men. But we see true wisdom found in the servants of the God of heaven, in Daniel, as the Lord reveals it uh, to to them. And so we begin to see again the defiance 
of the Lord's command, of the Lord's judgment of confusion. And this confusion, as we see in Babylon, is a confusion that has continued with every instance of the city of man into our own day as well. Every attempt to make a name for ourselves as mankind, every attempt to build a city in which we can remove God, in which we could defy God, in which we could make a name for ourselves and contest his rule in heaven, every instance of it is plagued ultimately with confusion. The examples in our own day are countless. And even the entire history of a number of King's students, a number of them have taken the philosophy courses of Western philosophy. The entire course of Western philosophy is fraught with confusion. It's why it never stopped, right? It had to keep going because questions were never answered until you get to our own day in which Hume's skepticism reigns. We don't know, and we can't know, and that's that's the best we can do. More could be said upon that, but we see God's curse, God's judgment of confusion upon the city of man, and therefore we're with Daniel called to look to find true wisdom. And so as we jump into this passage here, We'll think about it in two parts. Uh, First, we want to think about the city of man and its lack of wisdom. And then secondly, the city of God with its true wisdom. And so first, the city of man with its lack of wisdom or its foolishness, its blindness. And we see this with King Nebuchadnezzar, a man who had control over a vast empire, one who himself had great feats and accomplishments, and yet... Despite his accomplishments, despite his great feats, Shakespeare was right. Uneasy lies the head that wears a crown. He can't sleep at night. Despite all that he's accumulated, despite all of his power and rank in the midst of this world, Nebuchadnezzar cannot raise himself above the common lot of mankind. Like you and like me, right? We lay, put our heads to the pillow, and all of a sudden, our minds are racing, our minds are worrying, our minds cannot cause it, get us to fall asleep. Right? What a testimony to the fact that the power of this world cannot give us true rest or security. Nebuchadnezzar, who had the most of anyone in the face of the earth, cannot get himself to fall asleep. His spirit uh, is troubled. We live in a city Often um, a badge of honor of this city is that it's the city that never sleeps. And on one hand, that could be commended to a degree, right? A, a, a diligently, uh, an ambitious city, and those things aren't wrong in and of themselves. But I do wonder if we are a city that does not sleep because we are simply just restless. There's so much around us, so much to gain, so much to get. And like Nebuchadnezzar, we cannot put our heads to the pillow and rest. And so Nebuchadnezzar, despite all that he has attained, right, despite having made it king of the hill, top of the heap, whatever it might be, he cannot rest. And we might ask the question, why then is Nebuchadnezzar troubled? He has everything, right? Well, two things. First off, what's instigating his troubled spirit is a dream that he has. So Nebuchadnezzar has been given a dream, and ultimately we know that this dream has been given to him from the God of heaven as a revelation, revealing something to Nebuchadnezzar. And in Nebuchadnezzar's day, even in our own day, we often think of dreams as having some significance. But Nebuchadnezzar knew that dreams in his day were kind of were portents. They, they looked forward to something. They, they revealed something that was uh, to come. 
And so Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, knowing that it's revealing something that is ultimately uh, to come. And this dream, uh, Nebuchadnezzar wants to understand its interpretation. He might have some inkling of that he's involved with this dream, that he has some involvement in it, but he's unsure of its interpretation. What is this dream revealing to him? And so Nebuchadnezzar then has this dream from God, it's troubling him. And so he calls together all of the wise men that he had gathered from the nations he had conquered. Right? He brought them all into his courts to serve him. He has amassed the wisdom of the world, specifically wisdom as it might show him the mystery of his dream. So he calls them together and he asks them not only to, to show him the, its interpretation, but also to give him the content of the dream itself. You might say, well, why is Nebuchadnezzar requiring, them, requiring this of them? Well, he knew that these wise men would simply give him an interpretation that might be pleasing to him. No, nothing to worry about here. Your future is secure and fine. Uh, you're the stone uh, that's coming, right? And you're the one who's going to ha- have a kingdom that lasts forever, right? He knew that they, he could not trust his wise men. Again, a, it's a city built upon forced unity of, with distrust and treachery around every corner. And so these Chaldeans and the magicians and the enchanters are before the king saying, listen, what you're asking is difficult. You, they probably should have said the impossible, what you're asking for, we cannot do. And so he's pressing them, and they're saying, just give us the dream. Until finally, they're pressed to give this confession. A wonderful confession on our ears, as those who love the Lord and know true wisdom comes from him. Because here we have a confession that represents the city of man and all of its wisdom. Despite its appearance, despite our attraction to it at times, this is a confession that represents the wisdom of the city of man wherever it is found. And here, as as, uh, the Chaldeans are before the king, they, they say to the king in verse 10, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. The thing the king asks is difficult. No one can show the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. You see, here is a confession of the futility and the impotency of the wisdom of man. They cannot know. They cannot know. They can make things up, certainly. They can conjure up ideas. They can pretend and say things will be fine, but they cannot know with any certainty. Over and over, um, Nebuchadnezzar uses the word firmness and certainty, right? He's seeking that. And they're saying, we can give nothing of certainty. We can reveal nothing of certainty. And this confession is true of all the wisdom of man. And it continues again into our own day. Because they recognize that the only ones who can know, as according to them, are the gods. They know. And their dwelling is not with flesh. What a comfortless religion. To worship the gods, to think that they're for you, and yet they do not dwell among you. This is the religion behind the wisdom of man, right? This is behind everything stands one's religion. We can't not but be religious people. We worship something. We follow something. We're creatures. We're dependent. We're limited. And therefore, we worship something. And so behind the wisdom of the world is also a false religion. And it's a religion that says God cannot dwell with man. We are here on our own. 
we're left to ourselves. This becomes, does it not, a commentary on the wisdom of our day around us as well. Behind the wisdom of our city, behind this wisdom of our world, is one, uh, it's a religion that says God is apart from us. God is not with us. And God cannot then reveal to us or speak to us. And this is how we try to construct life, right? A God who is far from us, who has not spoken. It's the modern project, a, a, a building a civilization, a culture without God. This is the project of the city of man. And we feel its, exam, its, its, um, its implications um, all around us. And yet we take great hope in this confession of impotency and futility. They cannot know. And this, again, stands for us as a warning symbol so we may not go after the wisdom of this world, but also as a great comfort to know that their wisdom will come to nothing ultimately in the end. And so that's uh, the first main section here as as this story opens up for us, right? But then, secondly, we begin to move to a citizen of of the city of God and the wisdom that is revealed in that city. And so, uh, because that they're, un- they're unable to answer the king and provide him with the dream and its interpretation, Nebuchadnezzar uh, goes off in a fury, uh, sends the captain of his guard, Arioch, to go out and slaughter all the wise men who really are no wise men at all. They have no wisdom in themselves. And so the decree goes out, Arioch goes out, and he comes to Daniel, and Daniel asks that he might speak to the king, and he might have some time. So Daniel, as it says in verse 16, went in and requested the king to appoint him a time and that he might show the interpretation to the king. Now, it's important to notice, as just to kind of zoom out again from this text, that while we might be fascinated with the dream that is to come, right, and it w- worthwhile being fascinated and studying it in depth, as we're going to do next week, but it's also n- interesting to note that while the dream has been mentioned from, very, from verse 1, It's not until verse 31 that we actually get the content of this dream, right? So there's 30 verses in God's word before we get the content of the dream, meaning what we've been talking about already and what we're going to see in our second point, there's something more fundamental and foundational for us to understand before we get to the dream. And what is more more fundamental and foundational is that uh, Daniel wants us to know Something about who God is, first and foremost, right? We've already heard the confession of the wise men of Babylon. Their gods don't dwell among them. They're far away and they're basically useless. But Daniel wants us to see that his God specifically is the God who reveals mysteries. This is repeated a number of times in our text. Notice in verse 18. told them, to seek, uh, as Daniel speaks to his companions, to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, uh, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And so, um, in, rather, I should have went back to verse 10. Sorry about that. Verse 10, we have this, uh, as we saw earlier, uh, the confession of the Chaldeans. Verse 22 is what I wanted to see. Uh, Verse 22 reveals this about God at the center of Daniel's praise. He reveals deep and hidden things. And then 
In verse 47, at the end of this chapter, this is the confession of King Nebuchadnezzar. Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. Right, so before we get to the dream itself and its content, Daniel wants us to know that in contrast to the false wise men of Babylon, the God of Israel, the God of Daniel and his friends, is the God who reveals mysteries which implies that it is a God who is with his people. The gods know, but they're not with us, therefore they can't reveal it. But the God of Daniel is a revealer of mysteries, and our God is a revealer of mysteries, implying that he is one who dwells among us, one who can relate to us, one who can come and be with us. And so that's that's what Daniel wants us to see. And so secondly, again, we're thinking about the city of God and its wisdom. So Daniel, hearing of the decree, brings together his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And he asks them to seek mercy from the Lord. And so they go, just as we're going to see in other instances throughout the book of Daniel, they pray to the Lord because they have a God who hears them, a God who is near, a God who is with them. That's what stands behind prayer itself. And so Daniel and his friends go before the Lord and seek mercy from the Lord. And then it says in verse 19, Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. And so Daniel, as he uh, prays before the Lord, receives the dream and its interpretation. The mystery has now been revealed, at least in part, as we're going to see, to Daniel And in response to this, Daniel offers up this doxology in verses 20 uh, through 23. And you might ask, well, what's the main content of this doxology? What does Daniel praise the Lord for? Well, notice how it opens up. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. Why might the name of God be blessed forever and ever? For to him belongs wisdom and might. Wisdom and might. Daniel praises God. His God and our God, because to him belongs wisdom and might. Because wisdom and might belong to his God, it means that every instance of wisdom and every instance of might have come from God. It's why, specifically regarding might or power, he knows and recognizes that Nebuchadnezzar is in his position because God gave it to him. God put him there, as he tells Nebuchadnezzar when he confronts him in his courts. Earlier in chapter 1, Daniel knew that it was God who gave Israel over into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. Because might belongs to his God. Power belongs to his God. This is why Daniel praises God's power by saying in verse 21, He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. This is the power of Daniel's God. This is the power of our God as well. And therefore, like Daniel, right, we are greatly encouraged and and, and we are made courageous because we know that those in authority have their authority from God. And therefore, we submit to them as submitting unto the Lord. And where authority oversteps its God-given right, we are uh, able and empowered uh, to resist such authority. Because it is God who removes kings and sets up kings. Nebuchadnezzar would have no power had not the Lord given it to him. And more than just power, Daniel then goes on to 
praise the Lord's wisdom. Daniel recognizes that the wisdom he has been given regarding the mystery was given to him from God. And so Daniel praises God's wisdom, saying, in the middle of verse 21, He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. You see, as we look into the future, we don't see much. In fact, we're blind and, and, and um, cut off from it. For us, it's pure darkness. For us, we cannot see. But for God, he is the one wise who can reveal what is in the darkness, knowing what is there, for light dwells with him. Wisdom is found with God. And so Daniel praises God for his wisdom and his might. And then he then thanks the Lord, saying, To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. So Daniel recognizes that all that he has received has come from the Lord. And now he is ready. Now he's empowered to appear before the great king Nebuchadnezzar to make this very confession. What he has just praised God for will now be the theme of his confession before the great king. And often throughout the history of God's people, right, he brings his people before great and powerful rulers to confess his name. You think of Joseph before Pharaoh. Think of Moses before Pharaoh. Think of Esther before the king as well, coming in boldly to save her people. Daniel himself joins the list of those who have done so, coming to confess the name of God before the greats of this earth because they know, Daniel knows, Esther knew, Moses knew, Joseph knew that their God is, as Nebuchadnezzar will confess, the God of gods, And he is the Lord of kings of the earth. And so Daniel goes to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, and asks for an appointment with the king. And notice what happens afterwards, verse 25. Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I've found among the exiles from Judah, the author wants us to be reminded that he is coming from the city of God, a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. So the king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, that was his Babylonian name given to him. Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen in its interpretation? And Daniel, with great boldness and courage, begins by saying no, which is quite a uh, remarkable thing. You might imagine Nebuchadnezzar's face hearing no. Like, what are you you doing here then? He says, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or or astrologers can show the king the mystery, mystery that the king has asked. Daniel is again making that confession that the wisdom of the world is futile. The city of man possesses nothing, uh, no power that can make known to the king what he asks. But, as he says in verse 28, 28, but there is a God. Your gods may not dwell among you. Your gods may be far away, but there is a God in heaven above you who reveals mysteries and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. And so we'll say more about this phrase uh, next week, the latter days. It's the content of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. The latter days becomes a, a common phrase throughout the Bible that will be a, a period of time that will be inaugurated when the Messiah comes, when the Christ comes. 
so that when Jesus comes, the last days are inaugurated. And they begin, and the last days continue until they're consummated with Christ coming again. The latter days is referring to the period then between Christ, the Messiah, his first coming, and his second. We today live in the latter days, as we're going to come to see next week. And therefore, Nebuchadnezzar's dream isn't irrelevant for us, but will be very relevant for us to understand our times, our days, the latter days in which we live. And so uh, Daniel is saying to King Nebuchadnezzar that God has revealed what will come to be in the future. He says, Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what it is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, not because he stands with some unique power distinguishable from the other magicians and enchanters. He's like, I am as, as incompetent and as impotent as them as well. Rather, God has revealed it to me in order that the interpretation may be known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. God is seeking to glorify himself in the courts of this great king. As he did so to Pharaoh, so he will do so to Nebuchadnezzar. God will get glory even in the foreign courts of Babylon. Outside of his land, God will have his name confessed before the great king, King Nebuchadnezzar. And it's specifically revolving, uh, um, involving the mystery. The mystery that God will reveal. And this mystery, again, has to do with the latter days. Now, not to jump too far ahead, but... As we come to the New Testament, as we come to the inauguration of those latter days with the coming of Jesus Christ, we find throughout the New Testament the use of this very word, mystery. And it takes us too long to, to kind of give a full defense of this, but the instances of mystery in the New Testament, especially in Paul's letter, think of uh, Ephesians, Pastor Paul preached through Ephesians for us, we had the word mystery appearing there, in Colossians, in Thessalonians, the first Thessalonians, and so on also in Romans, we find the use of the word mystery, the mystery that was hidden but now has been revealed. And notice what Paul says in, specifically, specifically in Colossians, Colossians chapter 1 and chapter 2. So here uh, the Apostle Paul says regarding his ministry, Right, as one who is an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, sent out to proclaim the gospel, the good news, Paul relates his work, his ministry, and his gospel to the mystery hidden long ago, but now revealed. Notice, verse 24 of chapter 1, Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body that is the church. Right? Paul is expressing the struggle that he is enduring for the sake of the church. He says, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. 
For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. What the Apostle Paul is proclaiming is that the mystery that Daniel began to see and was revealed, had revealed to him has now been further revealed in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And more so, the mystery, as Paul says, is Christ. And he can say this because Christ is the center of that mystery. He's at the heart of that mystery that has now been revealed. It's Christ who has come to establish the kingdom that will be forever, as we're going to talk more about next week. It is Christ who has come as a stone cut out by no human hand, supernaturally coming and establishing his kingdom. It is Christ who came preaching, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And more than that, right, and not merely the establishment of the kingdom, but also then within Christ is found and is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Right? The main theme of Daniel 2 has been the wisdom that comes from God. And that wisdom has come ultimately and most fully in the person of Jesus Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And therefore, as we pull back and think about this chapter here, right, what's being revealed before the content of the dream, that God is a revealer of mysteries, it projects us forward to then see the Lord Jesus Christ as the one who has come as the mystery itself being revealed. And now that God is the one gathering a people, reversing the curse of Babel, Babylon could not do so, right? Babylon was one that saw dispersion and tried a forced unity. Babylon saw confusion and sought wisdom, and all of those things were shown to be impotent. But now God has revealed the mystery, the one who will reverse, the city in which we will find true unity in the bonds of love and peace, And true wisdom, in which we can know with certainty what is to come, is found in the city of God, established in the kingdom of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, a kingdom that will be forever and ever. And therefore, this calls us then to flee the city of man and its wisdom, and to seek refuge in the city of God, and to find our wisdom in Christ alone. Not to be taken captive, as Paul is going to say, to the philosophy that is deceitful in the world around us. Philosophy being itself, the word meaning philo, love, sophia, wisdom, the love of wisdom. True love for wisdom is found only, true philosophy is found only in the city of God with Christ. Taking our thoughts captive to him and refusing and rejecting everything that is not according to Christ. And therefore this is the wisdom that we are to seek, and the wisdom that we are then to live by. Christ, the mystery revealed. Yes, Daniel knows that his God is a God who reveals mysteries, and it's his God who then can send his Son to be for us our wisdom, who can be for us our knowledge. And therefore, let us take every thought captive to him, and let us then refuse the wisdom of this world And seek refuge in the wisdom that comes from the God of Daniel, our God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And let us rest in Christ alone 
that our thoughts might be captive to him. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we are uh, so aware of uh, your revelation to us through Daniel. You are a God who reveals mysteries. And we thank you, Father, that you are a God who saved your people then during Daniel's day by revealing the king's dream. That you are a God who has gained glory over Nebuchadnezzar. And you are a God who will gain glory over every instance of the city of man, including in our day. And Father, while it may seem at times that the glory of man is attractive and it may seem uh, to be everlasting, yet we know that it will crumble, it will fall that the kingdom of God, with its glory and its wisdom, will remain forever. And so, Father, may we rest as citizens of your kingdom, of your city, and may we take all of our thoughts captive to Christ, that he might rule our minds and our hearts, and we might be his people living for his glory. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.